We love the Apostle Paul has written of his own heart that it is a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Most of us, I think, when we hear Paul make that statement, we look at our own heart and we protest. We say that, but Paul, how could you be the greatest and chief of sinners when I am the chief of sinners? Have you felt this within your bosom, beloved, that you are the chief of sinners? The same apostle Paul has written that I am less than the least of all the saints. And again, when we have knowledge in our own heart, we protest and say, Paul, that's not true. For your own heart and for your own sake, we are going to send you to the city workhouse for 90 days. And after those 90 days are over, you are entirely, entirely free. This was uh, the judgment of the court that they would not prosecute him. When he was at the city workhouse, I went many times to visit him there. And he often, often spoke of his heart. And he told me many, many times, never be afraid to tell my story unto others. I want others to know that there is grace and mercy for big sinners like I am. Then I remember when he had a severe heart attack and I went to his apartment after he was released from the hospital to visit with him. And the minute I went in the door, he began to cry and to weep. And he said, there are all those things that I have not made right in my life. There are just innumerable debts that I have never repaid. I have hurt and harmed so many people that I can't name them. And now I'm at the place in life where even if I could, I could not restore the things that I have taken, the things that I have done wrong. And where do I stand before a righteous God? Beloved, I made known to Bill that night. Bill, your sins are all forgiven. God no longer counts them against you. They are entirely wiped away. And though you can never, never make right the things that you have done, that he will receive you. He has long, long years ago gone on to eternity. And I believe that he went there as a redeemed soul. This morning of grace, if there's a sinner here, somebody whose life has been everything but what they would have wanted it to be, and who experienced that their sins and their transgressions are so great and so big and so many that within their heart they feel it's impossible. I can't be a child of God. There's no way. There's not enough grace to cover my sins. I want to assure you this morning, because of the merits of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he has prepared, there is grace for the greatest of sinners. And to that one then who feels that 
They've destroyed their own life. They've done everything wrong. There's no hope for them. But beloved, maybe as we are gathered here this morning, that there are those who have always been in Christianity, always confessed faith, always gathered with the children of God, and your life has been quite orderly, and your life has not been that life which has led you into theft and murder and adultery and all those things that we call great sins. But for your heart also, beloved, when you stand in the presence of God, you need a Redeemer and a Savior. And we can understand that Christ has died for those great sinners. But sometimes it's difficult for us to believe. Dying for those who are not, as we would term it, such great sinners. This morning I would like to read from Zechariah, the third chapter, that we might tarry with our hearts this morning for a few moments. And I will read them uh, in the name of Jesus. And he shewed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head, and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then shalt thou also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellow fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Amen. The witness of the scriptures, the sixth chapter, the same book of Zechariah, tells us about Joshua the high priest. Joshua, beloved, 
was not one that uh, outwardly transgressed against the Lord. He did the things that were right. And there was the promise of God unto him. As we gather here, we gather with our children and our young. And I know that there are young people who in their life and in their journey have, by the grace of God, kept their members from great sins. And I myself, this morning of grace, and as you know, I have come here for so many years that no matter what I say or where I read from the scriptures, I have some time before read from those places. And I will witness this morning of grace that God has paid the penalty for even those who have not gone into the deep sins of this world. You know, when we come to know our own hearts, there's something that every one of us have within us. We heard this morning from Walt's message how that we have this uh, corruption and this sin that's in our members. And these sins that are in our members are not the, of the same nature as adultery and murder and theft. You know, within our members, beloved, there is self-righteousness. And every single one of us is self-righteous. There is also in our fallen nature unbelief. And all of us are unbelievers, even this morning of grace. That is in our fallen nature. We are unbelievers. It is that way that in this fallen nation, fallen nature, we are hypocrites. And that's not a very nice sounding word, is it, beloved? Can you acknowledge this morning that you are a hypocrite? In this fallen nature, there is pride and there is honor. And oh, how often in this pilgrimage, even as children of God, we struggle with self-righteousness. We struggle with hypocrisy. We struggle with pride and with honor. And I think that's the way it was with Joshua the high priest. And as the scripture tells us, that Joshua the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing in his right hand to resist him. So here was Joshua and beloved. He was in the presence of the Lord, but Satan was on his right hand resisting. We already this morning heard of this uh, warfare, this turmoil that's in the heart of man. The scriptures tell us that there was a war in heaven, and that's in the 12th chapter of Revelations. And Michael and his angels fought, and the dragon and his angels fought. But Michael and his angels prevailed, and 
the dragon and his angels, that is Satan, the devil, was cast out of heaven and cast down to earth. And when the devil was cast down to earth, then the devil is warring here in this world. And once beloved, and we know that that was on Good Friday, there was a battle, and that battle was on the battle mount of Golgotha. And there, beloved, Satan warred and fought against our Redeemer and Savior. And it is on that battle mount of Golgotha then, beloved, where Satan was defeated and his head was crushed. And beloved, how can it be that there at the place of death that it was that way? The scriptures witness to us, as Hebrew the second chapter makes known, that by death he has destroyed the power of death, and that by the grace of God he has tasted death for every man. And there on Golgotha's battle mount, beloved, the warfare was accomplished. And there God was satisfied. But then the devil who was defeated there, now he goes into the heart of man. And there he begins to war. And the devil then accuses God's children and accuses them day and night. And he always wants to destroy the word of God within our hearts. And that is what he was doing with Joshua the high priest. But we hear the voice of the Lord. The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Beloved, a brand plucked out of the fire. And what fire is that? It's the very fire of hell. Well, I know that great sinners and those who have gone into all the deep sins that are in the world, they know that they are brands plucked out of the fire when God takes them and makes them his children. But those who have not gone into those deep sins, they also are brands plucked out of the fire. And oh God be thanked that he plucks brands out of the fire. And I'm one of those brands that has been plucked out of the fire. And it's the only reason, beloved, that I can stand before you and speak. Because I know the grace of God that has been extended to me. Even though I did not live in the deep sins of the world as most men look at sin. But when God has revealed my own heart and I have come to know myself, I know that I have crucified the Lord of glory. I know that I have nailed him to the cross. I know that my sins have pierced his side. And I know that the price that he has had to pay for my sins has been such that he will not let me go. And I would want to say this morning of grace to the young, 
You don't have to go into the world. You don't have to go into deep sins to be a sinner. But when God opens your heart to the knowledge of what you are, and you stand in the presence of Him who has borne your sins and trespasses, and you see the price that He has had to pay for your sins, then you know how great a sinner you have been, and you know that you are a brand that is plucked out of the fire. I wonder if there's a brand here this morning that has not been plucked out of the fire. If there's someone here this morning whose sins and trespasses, great and many, are upon your heart and conscience this morning, you have not been plucked out of the fires of hell, but they will one day burn you eternally if this time of grace you are not plucked out of that fire. And when the brand is plucked out of the fire, the scripture tells us, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. So Joshua, who had not gone into the great and deep sins of this world, he had filthy garments. And then he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him, and unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. So we see, beloved, that Joshua, he had filthy garments, but God did not say he was going to cleanse those garments, but he was going to take away the filthy garment, and he was going to cause him to be clothed with a change of raiment. And the scripture here tells us, And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head, and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. This is almost strange to us, beloved, is it not? That he did not cleanse the filthy garments, but he gave a new garment and took away the filthy garment. And this is that great and marvelous work of redemption, beloved. When God gives us a garment, that garment is the garment that has been woven on the long loom of Golgotha. It is a garment without seam and a garment that hides and covers. And this garment which Christ has prepared, it is his righteousness. And there's one thing about this garment then, never, never can it become filthy or defiled because it is Christ's garment. And this garment is perfect and always will be perfect. And at this place then, how do we relate this to our lives and our journey? This morning, Walt spoke of God looking down from heaven. And you know, when God looks down from heaven, if we are clothed with the garment of righteousness which Christ has prepared, God does not see us at all. All God sees is his Son and the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And is it possible when he looks at you and he looks at me that he sees us that way? 
He doesn't see us. He doesn't see our frailty, our poorness. He does not see our many misdeeds. All he sees is the garment that Jesus has prepared. And when it's this way, we're just as perfect as Christ is. But we also heard this morning about the two tabernacles, beloved. And this tabernacle, this earthly tabernacle, oh, our garment of this earthly tabernacle is often, often filthy. And this garment we have to take care of in our life and journey. Because if we do not take care of this garment, that is our garment, then soon the garment that God has given us in his son is removed from us. And this is what has happened then to countless, countless hearts and souls. That they have accumulated sins and burdens unto their hearts until they could no longer believe. And then the garment of Christ is removed and no longer hides and covers us. This morning of grace, as we tarry here in the presence of the Lord, when we become a grace child of God, there is a fair mitre put upon our head, even the helmet of the hope of salvation, and we are clothed with his garment, the garment of righteousness that the Savior has prepared. And when we are a child of God then clothed with this garment, then the angel of the Lord here tells us something. He protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house and shalt keep my courts. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. So now being clothed with the garment, then the Lord makes known unto Joshua. He gives him a commission that he will walk in his ways and will keep his charge. Then he shall also judge my house and will keep my courts. And he will also give us a place to walk among these that are in the kingdom of God. As we look upon these promises this morning, I'm going to lead you upon a little journey. And uh, as I lead you upon this journey, I hope that you will be patient and forbearing and carefully listen. We have heard this morning how uh, things have changed in this world. And things certainly have changed, but as Walt expressed it, that those things that are important always remain the same. They never change. And is that not the promise of God's word? That Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is it not true, beloved? That God's word never, never changes. It always remains the same and will always be the same. And everything then that God has given is always the same. Today we live in a day 
when change is on every side. And we know that among our people, in the midst of our young, there are those who are going many directions and many ways. How do we relate to these things? How do we face them that we might keep the charge that he has committed unto us? So in order to speak of this, uh, I want to read one verse in Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. Just one brief verse. And it reads like this. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. And I know that immediately there are going to be people who are alarmed. It speaks about traditions. And this is the one, one of the things that I constantly hear today from people, that in our Lestadian movement, we have all these traditions. And these traditions then, we are following them, and when we follow them, we make them binding upon people. At the time that Paul wrote this, you know, there was not the Holy Scriptures as we have it today. As a matter of fact, the New Testament was not until formed until the third century after Christ. There were the letters that had been written, the Gospels that had been written, but the canon of the New, uh, New Testament was not finally finalized until in the third century A.D. The church had already existed. It had been for from the beginning of uh, when on the day of Pentecost God poured forth upon his people his grace and his mercy. And when we face the word tradition, it upsets people. It causes all kinds of thoughts. But in order for us to understand tradition, then we have to turn to the words of Christ. And I'm reading from Mark, the seventh chapter, quite a few verses. I only way I can uh, speak of it as I would want is to read these verses. And it says like this. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with, def with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they came, when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And Christ answered and said unto them, Well saith, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, 
as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or his mo- or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things do ye. So as we see Christ speaking of traditions, Christ was not against tradition, but he was against those traditions by which they transgressed against the commandments of God. And he speaks here of Corban. And this Corban was such that according to the tradition that a son or a daughter did not have to take care of their parents if they gave their means to the temple. And many then did this. They gave their means to the temple so they would not have to support their father and mother, honor their father and mother. So by their tradition, they transgressed against the commandments of God. And as we speak then of traditions in this light, I want to share with you this morning some of the traditions that we have in our church. Yes, I want to share some of the traditions, beloved. One of the common things among us is baptism because we have children. And you know, in baptism, there are traditions. One of the traditions is to have sponsors. And when we have sponsors, I know that many, many times people have wondered, why do we have sponsors? It's not commanded in God's word. But do you know, beloved, there was a time for God's children when parents, their lives were in jeopardy because of their faith and those parents when they had their children baptized they thought that if my life will be taken who will take care of my children who will raise them up in living Christianity so they had sponsors and these people then made promises that if the father and mother were taken away that they would take care of the children And I'm sure that those parents, they knew that it wasn't commanded that they would have sponsors for their children, but oh, how thankful they were that there was somebody who would take the responsibility of their children if their life should end. Another thing we commonly have is the Lord's Supper. 
And with the Lord's Supper, we know that uh, there are the words of Christ uh, that we use. But there's one thing that we do have that I know was not when the Christ gave the Last Supper to his disciples. We have an altar, and we come to the altar, and we kneel at this altar. Christ's disciples sat at meat. They observed the Passover feast, and then they partook of the Lord's Supper. And I'm sure when Christ gave the Lord's Supper to, to them, he didn't have an altar book in his hand, and he didn't read from that altar book. These are part of the traditions. And you know, that which is in our altar book for the Lord's Supper, this is part of the liturgy of the Lutheran Church. I'm not saying these things are wrong, and that's why I say be patient with me. But they have a purpose, and they are good and blessed. You know, when we come to the altar here, and we kneel for the Lord's Supper. Beloved, do you kneel at the sacrificial altar of Golgotha? Do you behold the dying lamb? Do you behold him whose body has been broken for you and whose blood has been shed for the remission of your sins? Another common thing for us is confirmation school. And confirmation is not commanded in the scripture. Although Christ, in his farewell command to the disciples, does make known that we should teach, and teach to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So there is a foundation in God's word for confirmation. And confirmation can be uh, just a routine. But you know, beloved, I have known young people at confirmation time when the sword pierced their soul, when they experienced the grace of God in their hearts, and it was the place in their life when they began to follow the Lamb, and they no longer struggled with the things that young people struggle with, because there they met the Savior and the Redeemer. Then, beloved, I go to something probably uh, far more controversial, but I'm going to speak of it, beloved, because I feel I have to. You know, this matter of the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. Even in this, there are traditions. And in order to refer to those, the tradition, uh, I have to speak of some other things. Anyway, there's an expression of Luther's that's often, often been quoted, and I also quoted Elok. Luther says, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. When, when, when I've heard this quoted, I've often asked people, do you know where Luther writes of that? And most often people say, well, I really don't know. And I'm sure that uh, there are many who teach Sunday school here this morning. Do you know where in Luther's writing 
It is said that where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. It's in the catechism. But where does it appear in the catechism? It appears in under the Lord's Supper. That in the Lord's Supper, there is forgiveness of sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. Luther makes known in the sermon for the 19th Sunday after Trinity, and that's in the Lanker edition, volume 14, in his church apostle, that he says, The golden age has arrived when brother can say to brother, Thy sins are forgiven thee. And in that same context, then Luther makes known about the forgiveness of sins. And he says it this way. He says, forgiveness of sins is of two kinds. First, that the heart might be cleansed and grace can be infused into the heart. And Luther says, God alone can do this. But brother can just say to brother, thy sins are forgiven thee. But it is God and God alone that cleanses the heart and infuses grace into the heart. When Luther used the forgiveness of sins, he didn't say, in Jesus' name and blood. Luther proclaimed the forgiveness of sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I'm not saying this morning that it's wrong the way we say it. I'm only saying it, that that's the tradition. But oh, how thankful I am for this gospel. And this gospel then, as Ratama, the beloved elder of our Listadian movement, made known unto the gathering of preachers, that never, never, dear brothers, Separate the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins from the redemptive work of Christ. Oh, how sweet has been this gospel. How many, many times in this pilgrimage, as we have traveled here, we have had reason to ask God that, dear Father, forgive me. And we have heard that forgiveness among the children of God. Oh, may that voice not cease in our midst, because if the blood of Jesus stops speaking, then the voices of joy will be heard no more. You know, beloved, if the ground of your heart is dry and hard, how can the ground of your heart be moistened? Oh, I know once, beloved, on Golgotha's high cross, when the side of Jesus was riven and there came forth blood and water, that we have heard the expression used that the blood of Jesus wasn't to moisten the ground of Judea. often beloved draw nigh to that place where the fountains are open the fountains that are open for 
sin and uncleanness and draw from those fountains. And then above all, beloved, may it be that the crimson cloud that has arisen from the place of sacrifice, that crimson cloud which has covered Zion and from which the dewy drops of blood have descended upon hearts, that that dewy cloud would be over us, beloved, the pilgrims of the last times, as we journey with our children and our children's children, reaching forth for eternal life. May the blood of Jesus speak of better things than the blood of Abel. And may it be, as Brother Wayne O'Hill is here this morning, one of the last times that Martha and I visited with his brother, uh, William, or Bill Hill in Michigan, and as we spoke together, and I spoke to him about the blood of Jesus, William Hill told me, Carl, always remember that it's the atoning blood of Jesus. Yes, the atoning blood, the blood of Golgotha, the blood that flows from the heart of the Lamb of God, the blood that brings life and salvation to hearts and souls. And this warm stream of blood, the children of God, have always gone into that stream. This morning of grace, may it be that we are in that crimson stream of his blood and that we are partakers of him who has given us life and salvation. Or as Zachariah makes known, hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wandered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch, And we know this is Christ, none other than him, the Savior and the Redeemer. And also he makes known, for behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua, and that stone is Christ, the rock of our salvation and our hope. And upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engraven the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. And one day, my beloved, engraven upon the palms of the hands of Jesus have been our sins and trespasses and also our name. God be thanked that we have been engraven in the palms of his hands and that is why he cannot leave us nor forsake us, my beloved. We have been engraven there. And then, as the scripture says, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Beloved, it's precious to be in God's kingdom. To be there with those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It's been precious for me once more to be in your midst. I who am less than the least of all the saints. I who am the chief of sinners. I who have to be a beggar of grace and have to glean the blood drops of Jesus into my heart. This morning of grace, can it be that even I am numbered among you, that I am also a child of God and a child of grace, if there has been, beloved, with me those things that I have spoken that are wrong, love me, care for me, and if there is that which is lacking, then surely 
carry that with forgiveness. But in all things, can it be that I can have that knowledge even this morning of grace, that weary traveler that I am, that my sins and faults can be forgiven? Yes, we have them all forgiven in Jesus' name and precious atoning blood. And I would want to exhort you, brothers and sisters, look unto him, the author and the finisher of faith. Behold the Lamb of God and that which he has done for us. And let us journey forth then as God's children. Maybe we, we won't meet again upon the face of this incursed earth. But shall we meet in paradise before the great white throne? And there, beloved, you and I no longer will be frail, poor travelers, but we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. God grant that blessing to your heart and to mine. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And shall we then humble our hearts before God in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy warm heart of love that has been revealed through your beloved Son, our Redeemer and Savior. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, that thou hast left here in the midst of Zion the living word and the gospel that is preached and made known. We thank thee, dear Father, that thy righteous and holy law that is still remains and will always be towards the heart of man. We thank thee, dear Father, that repentance and remission of sins can be preached in thy name. And we ask that thy blessing hand will be upon each one of us and that we can be your children of grace. All these things we ask in the name of thy beloved Son, our Redeemer and Savior. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. compassionate heart tonight in the name of thy beloved Son, Jesus, our Redeemer and Savior, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we ask, Father, that thy Spirit will witness of the Savior this night to our weary hearts and souls, because we can acknowledge tonight with the songwriter that false and full of sin am I but thou art full of grace and truth. We thank God this evening of grace for his beloved son. God did promise already in the Garden of Eden that he would send forth his son to bruise the head of the serpent, crush the head of the serpent. And through these centuries and through time then, men waited for that promise to be fulfilled. And as Time went on, I am sure that many, many times the children of Israel were wondering, will God keep his promise? Will he truly send his son into the world as he has promised unto us? And then when the Son of God did come into this world, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
You love this night of grace. The Son of God has come in the fullness of time into this world. And as the Apostle Paul has made known, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That is when the fullness of time has come. And do you remember, beloved uh, traveler, this evening of grace, when he came to your heart? It's that way with the awakened soul, that they stand before a righteous God, they stand before God condemned. And their heart longs for peace, and they wait and wait for that time when they can receive into their weary heart and soul the sweet knowledge that they are the children of God. There are those here tonight, I'm sure, who remember when you were with the awakened heart and how you longed for peace and comfort. How sweet that was when the gospel came to your heart and you received peace within your bosom and you could be a son of God. Tonight, beloved, uh, to speak of these things, I want to read from the Gospel of Mark, in the first chapter, and just two verses, 14 and 15. Mark, first chapter, 14th and 15th verses. And we read them this evening in Jesus' name. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Amen. Before Christ came into this world, we know that Elijah or the spirit of Elijah had to come. And that was John the Baptist. And John then was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He came to prepare a way for the Savior into the hearts of men. And John, in preparing the hearts of men for Christ, he did preach repentance. But more than this, beloved, he pointed to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I know that every awakened heart and conscience remembers when their heart burdened with sins and trespasses came to repentance. When the heart was so heavy and so weary that you could not go on. And then with that weary heart and soul you could behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as you beheld him within your weary heart and soul, and you knew that you were reconciled to God, then from your lips there came forth thanksgiving unto God. You could not be silent. You had to speak of that which God had done within your heart. And this is the way that God has prepared then for all mankind. And as the scripture tells us this evening, that after John was put in prison and John's ministry was at its close, 
Then Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So Christ then, he entered into his office and began to preach. And he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. This night of grace, uh, beloved, I am thankful from the very depth of my heart that it has been such that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. This is the way that God has prepared that mankind would hear of Christ Jesus and mankind would become a partaker of his grace by the foolishness of preaching. And today in the world, loved in the religious world, they truly feel that this is foolishness. That man has to, by hearing the word of God, receive grace and forgiveness. And as we look upon this, that man has to preach the gospel, then in our midst, and we as uh, Apostolic Lutherans and Lestadians, we always refer to Romans, the 10th chapter, where it says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But in that same 10th chapter then, says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call upon him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And then is, there is added to that from the prophet Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Do you remember, beloved, when that sweet gospel came to your heart and to your soul, how beautiful were the feet of them that preached the gospel of peace? And how many times on this pilgrim's journey, beloved, as we have tarried and awaiting the second coming of the Son of God, when our heart has been weary, when we have been in the warfare and in the strife, and many times we have been overcome how sweet that gospel has been. I, this night of grace, thank God from the depth of my heart for those feet, the beautiful feet that have brought the gospel of peace. And I look back upon my life and journey. I remember many of those who spoke the word of God to my heart. And especially do I remember the old Christians who tenderly cared for my heart when I was young, spoke unto me of this beautiful, blessed gospel, made known of this Savior and Redeemer who has come to redeem sinners, sinners such as I. Tonight, I hope that within each one of our hearts, this blessed knowledge lives and reigns within our bosom. And as Christ then uh, began to preach and to make known, we have heard tonight, he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Once uh, Christ came into this world in the fullness of time, born of woman, but was the Son of God, 
and the Son of Man. And only as the Son of God and the Son of Man could he be a Redeemer and a Savior for us. He had to take upon himself the form of man in order to redeem man who through flesh had transgressed against a righteous God. And when this Son of God then came into the world, he came here to die. He had to die for the transgressions of mankind. And the righteousness of God demanded this. You know, God, if his love would have been greater than his righteousness, God could have said to our first parents in the Garden of Eden, it's all right, everything, even though you have disobeyed and transgressed, that I love you and everything is fine. But it was such that his righteousness demanded the death of the sinner. And God then, in order to redeem us, as he saw his fallen created children and knew that there was no way to redeem them except that there would be one who would die for their sins and trespasses, then looking and searching, where can he find one to redeem us? God looked upon his son, his only son, and sent his son into this world. And that son then came into this world to walk the bitter road from the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross of Golgotha. And there bearing our sin that he loved and the sin that of all mankind. And we as individuals, we know what our sin that has been like. We know how grievous and heavy it has been. But upon the Son of God fell the sin death of all mankind from the first sin in the Garden of Eden unto the last sin that will be committed upon the face of this earth. Is it any wonder then, my beloved, in the Garden of Gethsemane that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood? Is it any wonder upon the cross of Golgotha that he had to cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there, beloved, the righteousness of God was fulfilled. And because that righteousness was fulfilled, now there is grace extended unto repentant sinners. Yes, even tonight, beloved, there's grace to the repentant sinner. The time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. As uh, we look upon that phrase, the kingdom of God, I know that sometimes uh, it has been such that people have felt that there's a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. But if you will look at the Gospels, you will see that the Gospel of Matthew, in this very same instant, it speaks about the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. So I think that we have to acknowledge that the terms are synonymous. Although when I say this, I do know that in the outward kingdom that there are wise and foolish virgins. And not everyone who is in the church is truly a child of God. But the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace in the Holy Ghost. 
And it is not only that, but as our Savior has made, made known about the kingdom of God, that it comes not with observation, nor is it here or is it there, but it is within you, or as it can be also among us. But we thank God tonight for this kingdom of God. We thank God for Zion, the city of God. And in this Zion, where God then has his children, that is where the word is preached, and that is where the gospel is made known. And we have experienced in our hearts how beautiful the kingdom of God is and how beautiful Zion is. In my days of pilgrimage, in all the trials of life, and in all the experiences of life, there have been the children of God who have been there to help us and comfort us. And it is in this beautiful kingdom of God then where the living word is made known and preached. It is here that the blood of Jesus Christ is made known and flows unto hearts and souls who long and who wait to be comforted. May God grant that in this kingdom, beloved, that we are satisfied and completely satisfied, because here the Son himself is revealed. Here in the Word he is made known, and here we can find all that our heart desires, all that our heart needs, all that our heart longs for. And in this precious kingdom, then, as this, our son, the Son of God makes known, it is at hand. And how close is it? How near is it? We do not need to go beyond the seas to find it. We do not have to go to heaven. But it is found in the midst of God's children. And there in the midst of God's children, they who are truly sinners inwardly, Still we are the saints of God. And in the midst of God's children, then, there is surely comfort for our hearts and for our souls. May God graciously grant unto the coming generation, to our children, to our young people, that they will know the kingdom of God, that they don't have to go and search other places. But here where the Son of God is, himself is uh, in the midst, and where he makes himself known through the word, that there is all that we need, everything that satisfies the righteousness of God, and everything that satisfies the longing of our hearts and our souls. We thank God tonight for his kingdom. We thank God for Zion. And as our Savior then makes known that the kingdom of God is at hand, he also exhorts, repent ye. And if you'll remember, there was that instance when they came to Christ and they spoke to him of those who blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. And uh, Christ said that, I suppose you think that these were the greatest of sinners. But he said, except ye repent, you will likewise perish. And also they spoke about the 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell. And surely they must have been the greatest of sinners. But Christ said, if ye repent not, you will likewise perish. And this cry of repentance has gone forth in this world. 
And if you will look at the book of Acts, in the morning hour of the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached that repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And on the same day of Pentecost then, when Peter was preaching to the multitude who were marveling at that which had taken place, he said, Repent and be converted that your sins might be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the Lord. And so it has been, beloved, that God has ordained that repentance should be preached. And this preaching of repentance then prepares the heart for the Savior and for the Redeemer that he might enter in. And the preaching of repentance then is surely the preaching of the righteousness of God but the righteousness of God is, is made known in many, many ways. It is made known through the law of God, but it is also revealed at that place where our Savior suffered and died. Because it is here that we know the price that has been paid for sin. And it is here where we know what the righteousness of God was like when it demanded the death of the sinner. And I know that every heart and soul that has been in under the righteousness of God and has stood in his presence, that they have nowhere where they can turn, no place where they can justify themselves, no place where they can defend themselves until they flee to the bleeding wounds of the crucified Savior and Redeemer who has conquered sin, death, and hell and who has come forth living and alive, and who yet this night of grace sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven and intercedes for us. And I'm sure tonight, as he looks down from heaven upon us, his heart of compassion is towards us, and he wants to embrace and enfold each one of us and to place us in his heart of love where we can be protected in all the storms of life. And to speak of repentance then, in our congregation, the oldest member is 93 years old, uh, will be 94 in, on the 4th of July, if he lives that long. And he is living in a, a assisted living uh, home. He's very, very alert and, and very well. And in this home then, they often, uh, for the sake of the old there, they have different things happen and they have different events. Well, once recently, they brought uh, Miss Washington, uh, the beauty queen, to the nursing home. And uh, this Christian brother, he had one desire for that uh, woman, and that is that she might know about Christianity. So when he was introduced to her, he said, you know, you have received a crown because you are a queen, but I wish for you that you might have the crown of righteousness which Jesus Christ has purchased for sinners at the place of sacrifice. And beloved, that also is preaching repentance unto hearts and souls. And oh, may it be that it burns within our hearts for those who are in unbelief, that they could 
come to repentance and receive this great grace that God wants to extend to the sinner. And as man then repents and the gospel is preached to him, and as Christ says, and believe the gospel. You know, faith, beloved, is a gift of God. No man can create it within his heart. God has to give that gift unto us. And he does give that gift through the preaching of the word, as we have already heard. And then there's something about faith, beloved, that I want to share with you tonight. You know, faith cannot trust in faith. Faith has to trust in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer and the Savior. Sometimes uh, it's that way that we exalt faith, and faith certainly should be exalted. But we cannot exalt faith above him who is the creator of faith in the heart of man. And, oh, beloved, if faith is in your heart and in your bosom, then faith looks one place. We cannot look within ourselves, but our faith has to look upon the Son of God, the Redeemer, and the Savior. And when our faith is centered upon Jesus Christ, and when our heart has no other refuge, no other place to go, then I do know one thing. We are going to have a safe journey to our eternal home. May God grant for us, beloved, the children of the last times, that this Son of God, who is the very Redeemer and God's true Son, that he is the foundation of our hope and our salvation, and our eyes of faith are turned upon him. And as we behold him, beloved, we can hear his kind cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. O God, grant graciously unto each one of our hearts that we can behold and see him as he truly is, and that in living faith we can abide in your kingdom. And when we speak of living faith, then this living faith is the gift of God. It's not something that we enkindle in our own heart, but the gift that God has given unto us. And he gives it to us unworthy as we are so that even this night of grace, we can, with a heart of thanksgiving, thank God for the preciousness of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he has prepared. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
gaat in de nacht zo iets nog. Wie is de taart zo? Nemen we ook net de tijd om de gip. Hier, wat? Maar eerst mee bij. Nee, is het zo. Maar je hoeft nog een keer in de ene. Er al wat snijgen is. Zeg het, ja, en er weer staat. Nee, het zo. En dat gaat altijd met hoogste taart van de ene. Ja, die was zoals je nou zo genaamd is, is mij verweerd. Nou, nee. Overrijd het wel nou ooit, zei. Overrijd het met het bops. De beerde meeste avond begint. Nou, nee. Nee, is heel goed niet. Waar is de weer nou? Ja, ben ik. Ik heb het weer weg. Het is half zes. Het is zo'n woordwoord genoeg. Ja. De weer niet hebben. Nee. Ja,ใช่ครับแต่ได้ไปรู้ที่เดิมก็ไม่ได้เสียงก็ไม่ได้ใช่ไม่ได้เสียงสุดที่สุดได้ไปรู้นี่น้องเสียงสุดได้ไ